Kia ora koutou, Wallace Chapman with you this afternoon. I'm with Palm Jeet Pamar and Ed Amon. Nice to have your company. First up, the government will provide free medical masks with rat kits at all collection sites. You no longer need to have symptoms or be a household contact to be eligible. Modelling suggests if New Zealand carries on as is with current masking practices, hospitalisations will peak at more than 1,200 beds occupied. That is higher than the peak in March, Dr Bloomfield said. So there are uh, 11,382 cases today, COVID-19 cases. That includes 412 reinfections, 23 virus Related deaths also reported today, and 765 people currently in hospital with this virus. With us is Dr. Dion O'Neill, project lead of COVID modelling Aotearoa. Dr. O'Neill, kia ora. Kia ora. Those hospitalisations to possibly peak to more than 1,200 beds occupied, I mean, that being higher than the peak in March, reading that, that, that sounds like of some concern. Yeah, that is concerning, and... So that's those high hospitalisation numbers, a lot of that's being driven by the, the people who are being infected this time round. So in that first wave, we had a lot of younger people in particular being infected. And what we're seeing in the, the infections at the moment in the confirmed cases is it's moving much more into an older population. And those older populations, when they get infected, have much more chance of having poor health outcomes and ending up in hospital. And so that's how you can end up with maybe a, a peak in case numbers that's the same height or even lower than in March, but with your hospitalisations potentially being higher. And that's on top of your, your winter illnesses and things like that that, yeah. that we have other years. All right, so sheeting home the importance uh, of mask wearing by, you know, this, these free uh, medical masks, a uh, worthwhile idea? Yeah, look, anything that gives people better access to both masks and rats and better advice about how to use them is, is valuable. So, yeah, giving people free masks, that's great. Um, but making sure that information goes out with that about, oh. hey, make sure you're wearing that mask properly, make sure you're getting a good fit because you can have the best mask in the world, but if it's not sealing properly over your nose and mouth and the air's just going around the side, then it's not really going to be doing very much for protecting you or for protecting other people around you. Well, we got a panel with us, of course, uh, Dion, but just echoing what um, the World Health Organization Director General, Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, said uh, what, a couple of days ago now that this pandemic is nowhere near over. He urged nations to bring back face masks. Some asking, including health expert, ex- experts, do we need a mask mandate? I mean, a mandate is tricky. People are only going to do what they're, they're willing to do anyway. The people who don't want to wear a mask and who are going to point-blank refuse, they're probably going to be like that, whether they have a mandate or not. And it's hard to mandate people to wear a mask well. So you can force people to wear a mask. If they want to be difficult about it and not wear one, they'll just wear it badly. So I'd really sort of go the, the line of encouraging people and informing people and making it easy for people to do the right thing as opposed to trying to require them to. It's a fair point, isn't it? Because the number of times, Dion, that I see uh, on the bus or really anywhere, people wearing masks uh, under their noses <laughs> is extraordinary. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So and those people could say they're complying with a mask mandate. And the, the reasons people are wearing a mask badly might be different. People might just, I don't know, maybe they don't know how this mask is, is working. They're not aware of the sort of the airborne nature of COVID. They're thinking more of um, 
of protecting themselves or other people around them from little spitty globules, um, diff- different protection mechanism, whether it's your nose or your mouth. But yeah, so th- those people, it really depends on if people are wanting to do the right thing. And I think most people do, then if they've got the got good information, we can hope for the best. Okay, so that, that, that important information along with these uh, rats and masks. Uh, Palmjeet, your thoughts, yeah. questions? It's it's been quite interesting since Omicron that even in a news a main news if you're watching it you don't see number of cases reported as one of the main news of people those who have died that day or that week. Um, do you think, uh, Dr. Neil, that there has been a lot of public pressure and it's because of that because somehow people wanted that COVID should be taken as a normal. Um, like just like a flu infection and that you will get it and you can't avoid it. And so there has been a lot of pressure from public. And obviously there is politics and then there is science. Science wants um, everything like social distancing, masks and um, lockdowns obviously were driven by scientific evidence. But then politics is driven by what people want. So you think we have ended up in this situation with these high numbers of cases in hospitals and numbers of people that we are seeing dying because of that pressure that has come and kind of we have normalized it before we should have? Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of of normalization. Um, so back in, in March, the first time we went over a day with 10,000 cases, that was incredibly shocking and quite confronting for a lot of people. And going over 10,000 cases a day this time Mm -hmm. round, a lot of people might be thinking, well, hey, we've been there before. It's not um, sort of headline news as the way it was back at the start of the year. Um, That doesn't mean that it's any safer, though, this time round. So it's that, um, I guess, that that mental dissonance between what's familiar and we become more familiar with it and we're more used to it, but it doesn't make it safer. Yeah. Um, Dr. Anil, I had I had a specific question. I mean, f- uh, I, I love the idea of a free mask and a free rats because um, rats have been quite expensive, and you know, masks are different prices at different places. Um, I, I wanted to ask: Can there a case be made for the KN95 masks to be free as well because um, they are better? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if people are wearing them fitted well. And so I believe that the government said they're going to give those, those KN95 or N95 masks out free to people who are at high risk. And so that's sort of that's one half of the, um, the balance because a mask does two things. One, it protects you from what you breathe in, but also it protects other people from what you breathe out. And so if you're a person who's at high risk of poor health outcome, you can protect yourself by wearing an N95 mask, but you'd really like to other people to protect you by them wearing N95 masks, even if they're at relatively low risk of, of severe disease. Mm. And so that's where I think it would be nice to be seeing those those N95 masks being more widely used and, yeah, yeah. anything that can help with access to that. Right. Hey, um, interesting article by um, by um, Kate Newton and Keith Lynch uh, touched on this uh, interesting issue. They see what they call a bizarre paradox, bizarre COVID paradox. Avoiding infection, particularly for the most vulnerable, is clearly a good thing. But at the same time, infection, when combined with vaccination, adds to an immunity pool that protects the population. Can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, so just in the same way that you, you get some immunity from vaccination, 
you do get some immunity from from being infected. The, the, the immunity that you get from infection is a little bit hit and miss, to be honest. You don't know how exactly right. how your body is going to respond. Um, and if you're worried about side effects from, from vaccine, well, the side effects from a natural infection can be incredibly high, anything from, from death through to long COVID to, to all sorts of the, like, all the things that count as disease symptoms. So it's, uh, I guess, that infect, that natural infection, yes, it does do something to improve your immunity, and it does it with some risk and some cost. Um, but at a population level, yeah, that's, that's boosted the immunity of the population to some extent. And so those people are going to have, be a little bit more protected the next time round than the people who haven't been had one of those infections. The counter to that, I guess, is that you have um, boosters in vaccinations. That's what we're doing at the moment for the people most at risk of severe health outcomes by offering that second booster dose to people over 50. And because you'd much rather say, hey, wait six months and take a booster than, oh, actually, you want to go and roll the dice and get an infection. Yeah. Very good to have you on the programme, Dr O'Neill. Kia ora. That's uh, Dr Dion O'Neill, Project Lead for COVID Modelling Aotearoa. Uh, I was in Canada in April and May. Rat tests were given away free at grocery store checkouts, also at libraries. Uh, and someone says, well, you know, we all wear seatbelts. 17 past four, Ed Amon and Palmji de Pamar with me this afternoon on the panel. There were hugs and a general sense of excitement following this decision. Christchurch City Councillors have voted to build the $682 million stadium Takaha. Melanie Coker, Cyril Templeton and Celeste Donovan were the only councillors who voted against pressing ahead. A 30,000-seater, a roof, 23 corporate suites. The project board has negotiated this fixed-price contract for this 30,000-seat multi-use arena following a $150 million budget blowout blamed on uh, international construction costs. With us is Mayor Leanne Dalzell. Leanne, kia ora. Nice to have you on the panel. Kia ora, Wallace. Nice to speak to you. So, after many, many years, this decision... Uh, were there hugs? Was there a general sense of excitement? There was. There were. There were. There was a real sense of excitement in the council chamber. I mean, I, my my colleagues um, behaved uh, really responsibly. We had all of the issues out on the table, and um, it was a good quality debate. Uh, we had excellent reports, and of course, this is a high level of confidence in Takaha Project Delivery Limited, who is a project delivery company that is now being given the green light to get on with the job of building it. So what happens now? Do you basically have an opening date, you get the shovel, start digging? <laughs> the, 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 the digging's already started. We actually gave permission to um, Takaha earlier this year to get on with some of the early groundworks that needed to be done which has actually added to that high level of um, assurance. They've actually produced a fixed-price contract that's virtually unheard of. I mean, no-one has heard of that with a large-scale project like this uh, in the current environment where we see prices um, sort of escalating and, and shooting all over the place. Uh, it's been hard to nail down fixed prices, but they have delivered a fixed price. So yes, the work um, has already begun and, uh, and this now puts the rest of it 
uh, to the green light. Right. Big response to this, of course, Leanne. Uh, I've got to say most uh, supportive, but uh, there are some that aren't. You know, wholly such a delusional decision. We all see Stadia barely used. To those who do say this is going to be a white elephant for Ototahi for many years to come, you're roping in future generations to, a, to, to, to one of extreme debt, Leanne. One that the, the, the asset will not be sweated uh, as other assets. What would you say to that? Look, I understand why people, uh, you know, would be expressing views uh, like that. There are views being expressed, and, and there were views expressed around the table about some of the challenges and how we got to the position that we got to today. Um, the blueprint got a, an airing today with the decisions all being made uh, before I became the Mayor of Christchurch. Um, and so th- there has been an element of, of, of real focus on, on the worthwhileness um, of this kind of um, build at this time. Uh, but the, the issue for me is that this isn't about uh, just the traditional sports that we've had and the concerts that we, we know about um, and the reassurance that we get from, you know, sort of weather protection as it were, uh, for those concerts, they won't get rained out in the future. Um, but the, 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 there is a whole world of um, entertainment out there. The, it's the younger generation, um, much younger than I am. You can use uh, the, you can the, use the, the stadium. You, you can use yeah. Sports. Yeah, you can use the stadium in Dunedin. You can uh, provide buses and go and see the Red Hot Chili Peppers in Dunedin. No, no, no. You you can see. For example, you have to have a covered stadium in order for eSports to be conducted. Now, we're talking about filling stadia with 30,000 people, um, and, it, and it is also about uh, whether we can... Um, whether we can... Uh, um, and, and then there's millions participating online at the same time. Right. I mean, I don't know if you've ever looked at any of the the videos on um, e, um, e-sports, but they're totally different, and it's a whole new generation. Well, Ed of, might have. We've got a panel here, Leanne. Well, if you've got a young person sitting there, then um, Gen, Gen uh, yes. Y and Gen Z probably twenty-one to thirty-five. We've, we've got a, we, have, we have just that prepared, especially for you. And he's a comedian to boot, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, good to talk to you, uh, Mayor. Uh, I, I Christchurch was my home for the first six years, and uh, and I and I love love the city, and it's. And I'm I'm totally on board with with the stadium. It is it is it needs a stadium. It's one of the biggest cities in the country. How can you not have a stadium? And I used I cried when the Lancaster Park was destroyed. So it needs a stadium. So the, I mean the nuanced question can be that, right? The problem is the money, not the necessity of the stadium. It's yeah. necessary. I mean I'm the young person. I'm getting old. But we need the stadium. But All right, that's cost. you, Ed, uh, uh, Ji, and then we'll round it up uh, yep, and get yep, on to the next guest. Yep. Um, so I totally agree with the conversation, Wallace, you, Do you had. Support and the Leanne, you, yes, I support the right. stadium, and I think stadium is needed. Stadiums don't make money, but for the reasons that Leanne has talked about, we do need a stadium. A happiness but index. I, yeah, but what I would say is that how do we future-proof it, like what we have seen here in Western Springs, um, Speedways and uh, Eden Park, all the neighbours' issues? Um, uh, what kind of land is there around? 
around if you know there is a lot of residential development we don't want this uh, stadium where millions of dollars are being spent ending up just like these two places that I've mentioned okay Leanne yeah I think two things one is the, the covered roof um, and the noise contours that are um, provided for around it but yes it is um, in residential area we want more people living in the central of our city um, but the other thing is is that um, that when people buy those um, properties and have moved into those properties, they know that this land was designated a number of years ago by the government for the um, for the stadium, and we've turned it into a multi-use arena. So it is right. it is something that people know about in advance. So I'm hoping that that's going to be sufficient confidence that um, that we are. Before you go, Mayor. Before you go, Mayor, can you give uh, Cantabrians a uh, bulletproof assurance that it won't go past $682 million? Look, I, nobody can ever give something that's, that's, um, that's that degree of right. um, reassurance. That's but a no. We got, what we got from, no, what we got from the project delivery company today was um, their reassurance about the amount of money that we have on contingency, which is included in the total project. The total project um, price includes a fixed price uh, from the contractors. Leanne, uh, congratulations uh, on the decision. Uh, kia ora, and thank you for making time for us on the panel. Uh, that is Mayor Leanne Dalzell. Now, listening to that is another Cantabrian economist, Stephen Hickson from the University of Canterbury. Kia ora, Stephen. Sure it was. Is it worth it? Well, I think that's a decision for uh, Christchurch and surrounding ratepayers. That's you. Side. <laughs> well, I'm one, I suppose. <laughs> Look, I, I think that um, one of your other guests just made the very important point that stadiums don't make money. And I think that what people have to do is think about stadiums more like libraries and museums and swimming pools that they're not uh, facilities that we have because of their economic benefits. They're there because we want to live in a city that has them or not. And the question is, if we want them, what are we prepared to pay? Uh, and so, so really, you're talking about the economics of happiness. Well, yes, it's more about... So those people who try and sell the stadium on the economic benefits of it, they are routinely overstated. These things, worldwide stadiums don't make money. Uh, even where you have much larger population, stadiums typically don't make money. Events don't make money. Just go and ask Hamilton about the V8s. Uh, ask <laughs> Dunedin about its its own stadium. Yeah. Now, you know, but museums and libraries don't make money either, and that's the way we have to think about the stadium. It's not it's not an a, an economic proposition so much as it's a civic one, like libraries, museums, and uh, swimming pools. And the question is, what are we willing to pay for them? Stephen Kiora, thanks for your time. That's Stephen Hickson. Uh, you're, I mean, you're a former Nat Palmerjeed. I'm surprised at you. You're, you're pu pu putting your weight behind the stadium, which will uh, arguably never make money. You know, it's 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 an asset that's that that won't be paid back. Yeah. Here you are supporting it. Yeah, very but, surprising. But, but, uh, but we do need, you know, um, infrastructure like this, which makes our cities look good. So as I said before, you know, stadiums don't make money, but they are there for so many other reasons, social reasons. And um, but then what I am concerned about is that fixed price contract that Leanne mentioned, because fixed price contract. OK, fine. Obviously, it will be a large company that will be making this huge stadium. Didn't sound but, too uh, assuring. No, because, and uh, the thing is, like even big companies like you remember Mainzeal? Yeah. 
uh, went into receivership. What happens if, you know, the, this company that is taking up this big project, giving fixed price contract, goes into receivership? So I want to actually see if they have identified all these risks and what uh, kind of systems okay. they have put in place to mitigate those kind yeah. of risks. It's yeah, huge. That's, that's very key. Huge. Uh, we've got to move on because I've got to get to this. Um, that's enough about the stadium. But we have Ed Amon and Parmjit Kumar with me. A lot of response about this. I did want to get to this. And by the way, big cat response. It's um, the cat of the day. We're loving cats for <laughs> once on the panel. Always hate them. Not today. We're loving them. So um, keep that coming. How do you feel when your phone rings out of the blue? Apparently, a lot of people these days feel like it's a bad or it's bad phone etiquette to call without texting first. We're moving forward in history. It's a cell phone and social media era not landlines, and an unexpected friendly call, apparently. So around the panel on this, let's start with you, Ed. Um, you get a phone call out of the blue. You're a young person. Do you recoil in horror? Do you throw it on the kitchen bench and let it ring? What do you do? <laughs> I, I, get, I always get startled because it's like, oh, my God, somebody is dead. And uh, it's it's... Is that the first thing that comes to mind? That's, that's what comes to mind because my life has changed. I mean, I grew up in a time... You say, oh, 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 oh. your cell phone rings yeah. and you go, someone's died. Oh, that's the, that's the feeling in my heart. Oh, there's some emergency. There's an earthquake or a hurricane or somebody died. So it's... And I grew up when I was when, when I was a child. Our we have one phone, and when it was it will ring in in Karachi, and the whole house will run to the house. Oh, somebody has called us! And then everybody will be fighting for to talk to whoever is living overseas, and they're calling us. And but now I don't know. The mindset has changed for some reason. That if somebody calls, you're like, oh my god, it's unless um and and and. Also, when there is only the number and no name, then I'm never picking up. <laughs> Leave a message or text me. I, I, I don't know. Because if it's an emergency, you call me another time again. Palmjeet. Yeah, I think um, I'm that kind of person who likes to talk. Emails are good too. But then in this is like kind of mindset nowadays we have that we have to respond to everything within 24 or 48 hours. Otherwise, you're not good enough. So for phone calling, I don't mind at all if people are calling. I myself would pick up my phone and call You'd, anybody. You yeah. would pick up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll pick up. And you wouldn't I'll assume that someone died? No, no. <laughs> and I'll tell you this. As a member of parliament for six years, I literally carried phone all the time with me, checking messages as they came in, any emails or any phone calls that rang, and I would um, you know, answer the phone or otherwise call back when I have a gap, or otherwise at least send a message that will call you back in half an hour or 30 minutes. So I think we shouldn't be hesitant because it's a technology that is there and you can talk directly to people, and sometimes it's helpful. And in, in some, also depends on the nature of the conversation that you're going to have with that person. Sometimes emails can sound really Really cold and on phone you can express better when you're talking um, and the other thing I would say is um, it also depends you know uh, who is in the need for example if your boss calls obviously you're not going to say that I'm going to finish this email and then answer them <laughs> <phone call>. no <laughs> no so. uh, never answer an unwanted call never John says someone texts you and you call them back straight away and they don't pick up. Hmm. Oh. All right, yeah. So the, your message to um, Edamon is 
don't be afraid of the modernity. Yeah, yeah. You don't be afraid. Just another person. <laughs> just just another, another person wanting to talk to you. Just, but, just say hello. What Ed, can I do Ed, for Ed, you? You're a comedian. You <laughs> yeah. meet people face to face and you, you're explaining to us on nationwide radio, yeah. you're afraid of the face to face. Oh, I'm I'm happy with the face to face. I'm not happy with the ear to ear thing happening with the with the phone because what happens is that it's it's like it's like you're walking on the street and I just come to talk to you, Wallace, and say, "Listen, Wallace, let's have a coffee and like talk about my issues right now." And you'll be like, "What the hell are you talking about?" So let's set up a time. So it's it that I kind see. of feeling that you know I'm I'm watching a cricket game or something and you can't disturb me during a cricket game. And then they want to say, oh, so what are you? What do you think about the Christchurch Stadium? I say, I don't care about the Christchurch Stadium right now. I'm watching the Black Caps win. You're on the panel. Our international, Ed Amon, Pamjit Ma, 